Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Friends, welcome. I am pro-life leader Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to Praying for America, where we pray for this country. I am grateful for our ever-growing audience. You are the best audience. You are involved. You are informed. Uh, you pray. You bring not only, uh, you know, one of the things we do on this program, and it's just right in line with uh, your priorities, is that we bring prayer, faith, and the Word of God to the very important and very substantial commentary that is taking place in many uh, sectors of our America First movement and a conservative movement. So uh, we learn a lot from uh, other commentators and uh, we have our own insights as well, but that's the unique thing that this show does. It's a praying show and, uh, and yet we inform ourselves and get perspectives on the political developments in America. So thank you for having that uh, commitment Thank you for being so good at doing that uh, yourselves and for the encouragement that you give me and the rest of our uh, fellow uh, citizens that are viewing our fellow patriots by your presence here tonight. Please spread the word as we go through these programs, uh, share and comment and interact, and that helps us to grow. All right, so something very important happened in Ohio. The day before yesterday, uh, I was on uh, Steve Bannon war room yesterday, as some of you may have seen, and I want to expand on the conversation that Steve and I had, because it was a very important conversation. It deals, it, it has a lot of implications for the elections of 2024, the presidential race. Abortion is uh, an ongoing issue. It's, it's not going to go away as an issue. Uh, and I want to give you some perspectives about what happened in Ohio and how this can be impacting these elections. Scripturally speaking, I want to start with Psalm 139, where we have uh, some important light shed on this whole issue. Starting with uh, verse uh, 7, Psalm 139 reads as follows, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, when I was being intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. 
Let us pray. God, almighty giver of life, you formed each one of us as an unborn child. We ourselves, without exception, made the journey through the womb. At that time, Lord God, some of us were protected by law. Many of us were not. Because the very protection of life, of human beings in their first nine months of existence, was taken away in most places by the Roe versus Wade decision that fortunately has now been reversed. And yet, in some jurisdictions, lawmakers continue to deny that protection. Lord, we ask you to help us wrestle with this issue as Americans, as patriots. Help us to speak correctly on this issue and help us to read the signs of the times. Bless all those who are part of the pro-life movement. Bless all those who are part of the MAGA movement. Bless all those who love America. And may we, Lord God, properly handle this issue of the right to life, of the unborn, of abortion. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, yes, friends, this takes wisdom. Um, there's been a lot of emotion and reaction in the last year to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. For so many of us, myself included, it was uh, a key victory of what has been our life's work in the pro-life movement. I've been in the movement 47 years. Roe v. Wade was around for 50 years. And so many people sacrificed, voted, lobbied, marched, prayed, educated, uh, did so many things to bring about an end to that disastrous decision. Because remember, that decision, now we're patriots here. We're America first patriots. We understand how our government works. We're against tyranny. I need you to understand, first of all, how Roe v. Wade was an expression of tyranny. Because what Roe v. Wade did, when you talk about government interference with our lives, you know, we want government off our backs. The founders wanted government off our backs. Roe v. Wade put government so much on our backs that it presumed to have the power to declare that certain human beings were not persons and were not titled to protection of their life. Roe v. Wade made the government into God. I mean, it's bad enough when the government thinks they can take your money or tell you whether you can have, you know, gas stoves in your house or tell you whether you can buy electric cars or they want to track your currency using digital currency, which is an abomination, or any number of other things that we oppose out of conservative principles. But imagine when they say, I have the authority to decide whether you live or die by declaring whether you're a person or not. That's what they did for the, the youngest human beings, the children in the womb. Roe v. Wade literally said, the word person, as used in the Constitution, the 14th Amendment, right? No person may be deprived of life without due process of law. No, the word person said, does not include the unborn. Yeah, but we've not learned more about the unborn. The scripture just talked about, to us about the unborn. We've learned more about the humanity and the complexity and the, uh, the, the vitality of the unborn over the last five decades than we've ever learned in all human history prior to that. 
And this is the time where we want to take protection away from them. So uh, it's a tyrannical thing, not only because it does that, or did that, we should say, Roe v. Wade, but because then it says to the people and their elected representatives, you can't protect these children even if you want to. It took away a key aspect of self-government. It took away the right of the American people and their elected representatives to set policy on a very fundamental issue. And people did continue to set policy because it's instinctive for us to protect our children. And when they set those policies and passed those laws through their state representatives and their elected governors, the courts would strike them down practically before the ink was dry. Because, oh, it's a constitutional right to have an abortion, so we can't have these laws protecting these babies. So I want you to understand Roe v. Wade, not just as, oh, well, you know, this is a battle over abortion. You know, we don't necessarily want to deal with that. No, no, no. Think of it in terms of the things that you do want to deal with. Government overreach, you know, government tampering with the ability of us to govern ourselves. We are the government, not some entity in Washington. Roe v. Wade was really bad on that. Okay. So now, the court corrected that and said, no, it's the American people through their elected representatives that should set policy uh, on, um, on abortion. And some states have set policy to protect the unborn, and some states are setting policy to expand abortion and have it even more widely permissible and available. No exception, no limitations, even in the seventh, eighth, ninth month of pregnancy, healthy babies, Healthy mothers. President Trump is always saying when he talks about this issue that we've got to point out that it's the Democrats who are the extremists on this issue. And they are. The Democrats are the extremists. They want something the American people have never wanted, which is unlimited abortion. Okay, so that brings us to the present moment where, you know, it's one thing if you pass a law. You know, you pass a law. Think about this for a moment. There's a lot of debate that goes into it, right? You have a process where there are legislative hearings, a bill is introduced by people, by the way, who answer to us because we elect them. We vote them in, we vote them out. If they're passing laws that we don't like, we go to the voting booth and we say you're fired. And even while they're in office, if they're doing things we like, we, we encourage them. If they're doing things we don't like, we, we, we complain to them. And if they need guidance about what kind of laws are being passed, because those are supposed to represent the will of the people, we lobby them. We can write to them. We can call them. We can sit down and meet with them and their staff. And this is the process whereby the will of the people gets translated into law. There are hearings. Witnesses are called. Documents are gathered. Various aspects of the question dealt with by that law are considered at length. Hours and hours, days upon days, weeks upon weeks sometimes of hearings in regard to, to laws. And sometimes, you know, the, 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 the law might be moving in a certain direction. And then based on input from the citizens and lobbying efforts, certain lawmakers will get up and say, well, I want to propose an amendment to this particular bill. I want to make this change in this particular policy. And then, then that gets debated back and forth and you may have additional hearings and votes meanwhile the people who are dealing with these things the elected representatives are not just one group the house i mean all the the legislatures ex except for nebraska all the legislatures have two houses so you've got the house 
that has to, uh, in some places it's called the assembly, there's different terminology, uh, has to um, agree and vote by, by a majority on the particular legislation. But then you've got the Senate who has to agree on the very same bill. So you've got both houses that have to be in agreement, and yet even not even that is enough. But the governor, who's elected on a different timetable, then has to agree in order to sign that legislation, otherwise he or she can veto it. So you see, the point that I'm making is, the lawmaking process is arduous, and it should be, and it involves the input of a lot of information, as it should. Go back to what we said before about Roe v. Wade. The court just imposes a right to abortion, bypasses all legislation. In fact, nullifies legislation that goes against it and makes impossible legislation that would go against it in the future. So that if you have evidence that, hey, this baby feels pain and the abortion is brutally ripping this baby limb from limb, and you want to bring that evidence into a, a legislative uh, hearing on a bill that would prevent that kind of peaceful destruction of a baby, then uh, you can't even do that. It doesn't mean anything. If the court imposes a right to abortion, whether that baby feels pain or not, they, they go like this. They're not even interested in hearing it. Follow me what I'm saying. What the pro-abortion people are doing now, and this is what just happened in Ohio, is that they are saying what we lost on the federal level when the court said, no, no more Roe v. Wade, there's no right to abortion in our federal constitution. We, this is the pro-abortion people talking, we now want to insert that into our state constitutions. You see the dynamic here? We want to put into the state constitution that there's a right to abortion. Because if we do that, we don't have to deal with these annoying debates, hearings, witnesses, documents, testimony, lobbying, vote, people voting us in, the legislators, people voting them out based on the abortion issue. We don't want to hear any of that because we'll settle it all ahead of time by saying there's a constitutional right to abortion. Therefore, you can't be passing laws to limit or obliterate a constitutional right. Constitutions are the... the, the the basis and framework of, uh, uh, and parameters of, of all the laws in a particular jurisdiction. So you can't have a law that goes against the Constitution. You see what they're doing? They're sidestepping the legislative process by trying to force these fake invented rights into the state constitutions. And they are fake and invented because never in American history, and this was something that the Supreme Court told us last year when they ruled on this issue, never in American history, either at the federal level or at the state level, or in academic circles, was a right to abortion ever asserted. Okay, so now with it comes Ohio. The pro-abortion groups have put a, an initiative up for, for a vote on the ballot this November of 2023 opening the door to unlimited, imposing unlimited abortion in Ohio. Now, as a way to prevent this from happening, the Ohio legislature some months ago decided that there would be a special election that just took place August 8th. 
Because Ohio's Constitution is one of the easiest to amend. The processes for amending state constitutions vary from state to state. Some of them involve the legislature. Some of them involve, require the involvement of two consecutive legislatures. You see how that's drawing more on the will of the people. Some of them allow the people to decide it just by a popular ballot initiative. And how much of a majority is needed? In some states, it's 60%. But in Ohio, it's only 50% plus one vote. That would be enough to change the Constitution. Now, it seems to me if the Constitution is the basis of law and the parameter for all laws, past, present, and future in that jurisdiction, that it therefore should be a little bit harder to change that than to pass a law itself. Given the legislative process that we just considered, it's actually easier in Ohio to amend the Constitution than to pass a law. And that's therefore why there was just a special vote to say, you know, wait a minute. Maybe the threshold for amending the Constitution should be 60%. Now, some of the uh, Democrat lawmakers in Ohio turned around and said, oh, well, no, look at what these people are trying to do. They're trying to destroy majority rule. And I want to point out how ridiculous that assertion is. They're trying to say it's un-American to destroy majority rule. And what they mean is, oh, well, you know, if 51% of the people or 55% of the people want something, and you're saying, by saying it takes 60% to modify the Constitution, you're taking away the right of the majority to decide. As if somehow that's un-American. They don't know their civics. It is a profoundly American idea that, as our founders provided, a simple majority does not always have the last word in public policy. Let me say that again. This is so important to understand and for us to be able to articulate to others. It is profoundly American to say that a simple majority of voters do not always have the last say when it comes to public policy. Look, for example, at how our presidential elections work. Does a simple majority of the American citizens decide who our president is? Of course not. We have the Electoral College that requires all the states to have input because it protects the rights of minorities. It protects the rights of the smaller states, which may be very, very different in their makeup, their priorities, their way of life, their values. Very, very different in Arkansas than in California. Very, very different in Mississippi than New York. Very, very different in Iowa than Illinois. And you've got to protect the smaller states and the interests of those people, which may be very different from the interests of the urbanites in Los Angeles and New York City and Chicago. Because if you didn't have the Electoral College, then Chicago, New York, Los Angeles would be deciding every presidential election. you got cities in these blue states that have more people than entire states that are red. So 
the, the, founder, the wisdom of the founders is truly amazing, uh, that they were able to set this up in such a way that protects the rights of the minorities. Look at how the U.S. Senate functions. First of all, the biggest state and the smallest state have the same number of U.S. Senators, two each. And if a minority in the Senate doesn't want something, they can filibuster a particular bill, and then it requires 60% to get that piece of legislation passed. Not a simple majority, 60%. Now, why is this? This goes back to something our founding fathers talked about. When they, you can read it in the Federalist Papers, which is, you know, are the series of essays that were written in order to, um, to uh, encourage the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. And in the Federalist Papers, the founders talk about factions. And they say, you know, we've got to be careful about factions. There might arise at a certain time in history uh, a group of people who are stirred up by some particular emotion. Now, note, I, 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 I mentioned, and you know it well, the emotion that was generated by the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Okay, the other side is very worked up still about this. There may be factions of people, segments of the population, worked up into a frenzy at a particular moment in time by emotion, by some other interest that they have, and they want to set policy in a certain direction. Well, okay. And sometimes that faction, they said, might, also, well, might even be a majority. They warned about the tyranny of the majority. What's the tyranny of the majority? If a faction has a wrong idea, a, an idea that's actually harmful to the rights of the people, harmful to the rights of the minority, harmful to the common good, there's got to be a way that the people who are outside of that faction can stop it. And that's why the founders instituted things that require supermajority votes or why there are checks and balances in our system of government, veto power, for example, of an executive, even over a majority vote of the people, or the power of a court to nullify something even over the majority of the people. Now, we have to be careful there about judicial tyranny. But this is something different. This is the protection of the rights of the minority or the protection of the rights of those who are outside of the emotionally worked up frenzied faction that's trying to take things in the wrong direction. That's what I argue is going on with these state abortion amendments. The one in Ohio, and I have it right here, would, would decimate parental rights, not only over abortion, but over transgender surgeries because it says every individual, think, look at this wording, every individual has a right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions. You hear anything in there about parents versus children? No, every individual. So it's saying even a, 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 a teenager, in fact, it doesn't even say anything about age, every individual has a right, a right to make these decisions. It doesn't say it requires parental involvement in any way, shape, or form. Reproductive decisions, what does it mean? Well, it says including but not limited to contraception, fertility, continuing pregnancy, miscarriage, and abortion. Not even limited to those. So transgender? Well, of course. Why not? There's nothing in the law that says anything to the contrary. In the, in the, uh, the amendment, I should say. 
Nothing is going to directly or indirectly burden, penalize, prohibit, interfere with, or discriminate against an individual's voluntary exercise of this right. Nothing. Not a church, not a school, not parents, nothing. See how dangerous this is? See how wide open this is? Tyranny of the majority. Push the parents out of consideration altogether. You want to mutilate that child because somebody convinced that child that they're in the wrong body? Nobody, according to this, has any say in the matter except that individual. And you think this should be passed by 50% plus one? You don't think that the, the well-funded, slick advertising and mo for money that pours in from across the country, and we've seen this happen again and again, can convince 50% plus one of the people that this is a good idea? Of course it can, because they're going to deceive them. They're going to do fear-mongering, because you see they threw in here, you know, you have a right to carry out your decisions regarding uh, continuing one's pregnancy. Oh, well, what if I'm... I'm, uh, um, I have a complication, I have a physical threat uh, uh, to my body from my pregnancy. You mean to say I can't decide to stop that pregnancy or miscarriage care? You know, if I'm, uh, in other words, they will make people think that they're not going to get legitimate health care if they're in a medical emergency. And this is the fear-mongering that gets these things passed. So it was very reasonable on August 8th for the people of Ohio to try to make it harder to amend their constitution because by, by requiring more people to agree, you require the consensus of those that are outside any particular faction that might get stirred up at any point in time. President Biden was very, very happy that the measure failed the other day. He was very, very happy that it failed because he said it was an attack on democracy. He ought to go back and reread the Federalist Papers if he's ever read them once in his life. Because he doesn't understand what democracy is. Neither do the, the idiots in Ohio. There were a couple of state legislators put out a statement saying, uh, like I mentioned before, oh, this destroys uh, uh, majority rule. It does no such thing. It protects us from tyranny. It's the same concern that the founders themselves had. And then the idiots on MSNBC said, the other day, said yesterday in, 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 in their glee over the fact that oh, Ohio Constitution still just as easy to amend as ever. In other words, wink, wink, nod, nod, come on in, pro-abortion, anti-parent, pro-transgender mutilation crowd, and change Ohio's Constitution so that no law can ever be passed that would limit these things, limit abortion, MSNBC said, oh, you see, they're trying to take away the rights of Ohio women. That is absurd. The rights of Ohio women? Do you know what you're talking about when you talk about Ohio in regard to abortion? The state passed through its elected representatives, its people, and its governor a law protecting babies from the time that the heartbeat is detected. Six weeks into the pregnancy. Whatever you might think about that. The people and their elected representatives passed it already. But no. These abortion people don't care what the women of Ohio or the women of anywhere else in America 
think, believe, or want. They don't care. And that's the point I'm making here. Abortion and the policies around it and what the best laws are. Listen, these are the things that have to be debated and worked out through the legislative process. What I'm saying is that when people come into these states and they try to invent and then impose a right to abortion that would contradict what is already the clear intent of the people of that state, that's tyranny. That's not some kind of democracy, like Biden says. That's not some kind of, oh, let's protect the rights of women. No, you're denying the rights of women who are among those that voted for pro-life legislators, lobbied them to protect the unborn, and saw to it. In fact, pro-life women among the legislators themselves who saw to it that there was a policy to protect what we just read about in Scripture was a fearfully, wonderfully made living human being in the womb. We've got to learn how to talk about these things. These people get away with this, not because abortion is a losing issue, but because they deceive and because they're tyrants and because they're afraid of the legislative process and because they are the ones imposing their will and taking away our rights. Our rights are to persuade our fellow citizens, elect those who believe in the policies we believe in, lobby them once they're in office, and then get policies enacted that reflect the will and convictions of the people. That's what the U.S. Supreme Court has said must happen. That's what can happen now, thanks to President Trump's Supreme Court justices, that we examine the issues, that we debate the issues, that we persuade one another. The other side doesn't want persuasion. They want imposition. We have a lot more. We're running out of time. We have a lot more to talk about in regard to this. I just want you to see a little bit clear, more clearly what's going on here. And let's not be so quick to dismiss the abortion issue as a losing issue. And, oh, we can't talk about that. President Trump has been saying the right thing. It's, he hasn't been saying we can't talk about that. He hasn't been saying it's, an, it's not an issue. It's, he hasn't been saying it's an issue we have to run away from. In fact, what he's been saying is, it's an issue we have to learn how to talk about. And part of making America great again is, in fact, making America a nation that protects life and that protects the freedom of the people to defend life. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us understand what is going on. Help us to stop the tyranny that is now threatening Ohio, Florida, South Dakota, Missouri, and other states where these pro-abortion people want to. They want to take away our right to decide these issues. That's what they want to do. Help us, Lord God. Help us to move forward with a nation that has liberty and justice, not just for some, but for all. And we pray now in the words that Jesus gave us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, there's a lot more about this. If you go to endabortionohio, O-H, endabortionoh.us, that's a special website that we've set up to, to show you uh, more about the Ohio situation. You can see the text of this amendment there. endabortionohio.us, uh, one of our websites. Check it out. Spread the word. Thank you for watching, and uh, we'll be back to you tomorrow. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.